Drive on SAFM. Happy Tuesday to you, Mzansi, from me, Shadow Twala. You're listening to Otherwise Talking Women on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. The show is produced by Hazel Makuzeni, and Rob Parkin is our technical producer for today. Our contact details are 0892-102010, email otherwise at safm.co.za, tweets at otherwise SAFM, or at Shadow Twala. Now, artist and therapist Elaine Hershowitz joins me to talk about her exhibition, No More Tears, which reflects the importance of the female body especially and its struggle with pain and suffering. Hate crime is still misunderstood and underreported. Janine Shamos is the public educator from the Hate Crimes Working Group. She shares her knowledge with us. But first, our lunch bite. And I've taken a poem by Laura Buns, who is an online instructor at the Southwest Institute of Healing Arts in Arizona. It's called, I am not a victim of breast cancer. I'm not a victim of breast cancer. I'm experiencing breast cancer. I'm not dying. I am living. I am not curing. I am healing and restoring. I'm not fearing. I'm loving and trusting. I'm not fighting. I'm seizing all hostility and conflict. I'm not weak or diminished. I'm strong and whole and complete. I'm not coping or hoping. I'm giving and receiving, creating and conceiving. I am not crying. I'm laughing until the tears run down my legs. My body is not my enemy. My body is my loving friend, my gentle guide. My life story is not history. My life story is legendary. I'm not powerless, I'm powerful beyond measure. I'm not a drop in the ocean, I am the ocean in a drop. I'm not scattered, I'm aligned. I'm not being destroyed, I'm building my sacred stature. I'm not trapped or caged, I am as free as a feathery fledgling. My body is not a muddy puddle of despair, my body is a hallowed temple of spirit. I'm not filled with shadows, I'm filled with illuminating light. I'm not a passive puppet, I'm an active advocate, an enthusiast, enthusiastic participant. I'm not tired and bested, I'm tied and invested. I'm not without a voice or meaning or purpose, I'm an angelic messenger. I'm not discarded, I am needed. I'm not descending, dragging or faltering. I'm consistently inspiring and uplifting. I'm not dwelling in the reflections of the past or the projections of the future. I'm joyfully dancing naked in the unfolding mystery of the present moment. I'm not alone or abandoned. I'm infinitely connected by the soft, silky vibrational threads of love. I will not forget. I will remember. I will not burn out. I will sparkle forever. Otherwise, on SAFM. Elaine Hirchevis is, is an experienced psychoanalytic therapist, an occupational therapist, a divorce mediator, and artist. Her belief is that art mobilizes powerful unconscious memories and mechanisms which can transfigure suffering and provide insight and healing. Her solo exhibition, No More Tears, opens on the 23rd up until the 5th, 23rd of October, until the 5th of November, and is a culmination of her life experiences. She joins me now on the phone. Welcome, Elaine, and thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. I've been looking at your images, 
Good. And <laughs> um, I hope a lot of people will come to the exhibition. It's opening on Thursday at 6.30 at uh, Halifax Art Gallery, 35 4th Avenue, Parkhurst. And um, it is a culmination of, of my life experiences, as it says, because I believe that art, um, my art anyway, is a sort of cycle of recovery and hope because I also had uh, breast cancer, mm. as you stated in the poem, which I think is very beautiful. Yes. And the images are filled with my personal struggle and an expression of the process of externalizing my inner journey of healing. Um, I'm a granny, I have 10 grandchildren, and um, today I have a whole catalog of experiences and understanding and resources to draw from uh, which emerge unconsciously in all my work. And as you know, I'm also a psychologist, so I believe in the unconscious, uh, you know, very, very deeply. Well, Elaine, I thought so. I was going to ask that being a, a, a clinical psychologist and, uh, and therapist, did, mm. did, did that help your healing better or help you understand your healing better? Um, I'm not sure about that. Um, I think that it's, you have to draw on inner resources. Mm -hmm. And um, I certainly d I didn't want to be a victim. I had lots of surgery and I was very um, mutilated and there was all kinds of difficulties that I had to go through. But, um, you know, it is very depressing and, uh, you know, the main thing is that you come out, the, the uh, exhibition has on the invitation one of my uh, monoprints because I've also, uh, most of them are monoprints. Mm -hmm. I have, uh, this exhibition is a sort of milestone in the development of my artistic voice. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe in sort of... Um, being uh, sort of always miserable. Uh, I trained as a printmaker through Kim Berman in the Artist Proof Studio mm -hmm. uh, just on my own at a time where, uh, you know, before the, before the new uh, government and mm -hmm. so on, mm -hmm. where I was the only white face amongst lots and lots of wonderful black artists. <laughs> and I used my clinical psychology to to help people then. I didn't charge people for, for the help. Mm. I ran some uh, exhibitions myself where we sold a lot of the artwork. And Kim Berman is an inspiration to me. She always has been. She, she runs this NGO with absolute um, enthusiasm and it's developed into a most beautiful, beautiful uh, sort of training center mm. for artists. Um, also, my opening speaker on Thursday night is Walter Altman, who is a very, very well-known printmaker. Mm -hmm. And um, he was my, my supervisor at university. I did an advanced diploma in fine art as well. So, as I say, I have a lot of experience. Yeah. Now, looking at your images, I see quite a bit of flight. I see, I, I don't know if these yes. birds are flying, but I also see flight in, in people running. Yes. Well, you know, I think the unconscious comes out in a lot of my work and uh, the whole thing about movement. And I believe that movement doesn't only imply things like, you know, races and... But 
but but artistic endeavor and flying has always been a sort of symbolic image for me in terms mm-hmm. of how you know as a child i used to dream that i could fly <laughs> i used to sort of think about it and at night i used to think that i had the ability to fly and soar and and that was a very important unconscious experience for me mm-hmm. and you know freud says that dreams are the of the are the the royal road to the unconscious so mm. i believe my dreams were very relevant so birds have always been one of those symbolic um, uh, images in my mind mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now you 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 used you your work to to deal with the pain uh, especially how the body yes. uh, responds to pain and and and, and struggle yes. and suffering well, I did, a, I did this advanced diploma. I was diagnosed when I applied for it. So I went through all the, the processes of, the, of the, um, the surgery and I used my CAT scans. And if you go to the medical school, the Adler Museum, in the foyer, you'll see some of my images which I donated. Mm. I, I got two of my images of the gauze. Uh, I'm allergic to plaster, so in the Mm. Surgery, it was always very difficult without having an allergic reaction mm. to some of the, the, you know, the plasters and the things that were used. But I, I used them and also at the Sunning Hill Hospital at the radiography department, I've got a whole lot of work there. Mm. Mm. I had an exhibition there because my thesis was called, um, oh gosh, now I've forgotten. No. <laughs> um, I was interested in in, 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 in just the, the 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 result which you used art then to communicate this pain and suffering because you'd lived through it. But are you then recommending that? Um, and and I don't know when you discovered that art could heal. But are you recommending something similar for patients in any kind of illness for, for that well, matter? Well, you see, I, I've lectured extensively on art therapy because okay. I believe that art is is a way of communicating a lot of inner feelings. So, of course, art is one of those ways. Mm-hmm. But not everybody wants to use it as a as a sort of um, therapeutic thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if you look at all the major artworks uh, you know, through the ages, you'll see that lots of artists have had their own personal problems if you take Van Gogh mm-hmm. and you take a lot of these other artists. And that uh, you, I, I love the saying, you know, at, at the Artist Proof Studio there was a student who came to apply to be taught. And uh, uh, Kim asked him, uh, why do you want to do art? And he said, because I can't stop my hand from drawing. <laughs> and I thought that was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever heard. And he became a very well-known artist. So I think you have to have the propensity, in a way, to want to express yourself through imagery. Some people have that propensity to express themselves through poetry, like that wonderful poem that you mm, wrote. Mm-hmm. Some people have it through music. Some people have it through dance. I love dance images. A lot of my images, uh, I had an exhibition once called Shall We Dance? And it was all ballet and dances. And, you know, I love the whole idea of movement. And I think movement is symbolic in its own right because we move from pain and suffering to, and this is the title of my exhibition, No More Tears. No More Tears. A terrible crybaby, actually. And um, 
now I believe that, you know, they are, I feel I've sort of overcome that whole thing. There's no more tears. I'm well, fortunately. I have got uh, still the scars of all the surgery and so on and the mutilation and so on, but I've overcome that. You're, you're not crying. There are no more no, tears. I'm no more tears. <laughs> but I still cry. Is the, is <laughs> when I see somebody in pain and suffering, I really feel very deeply about it. Well, uh, just by the way, mm -hmm. uh, there is a, I'm having a walkabout at the gallery. Fantastic. Uh, on, on the 1st of November at 11 a.m. So I'd love you to be able to come. And then if you can't come to the opening, that's always a good way to hear what I've got to say. The walkabout sounds absolutely perfect. Because mm. then you talk through the yes, work. So then I show people, you know, for instance, the invitation has lots of handprints and yes. runners and and another image which I think is sort of very um, uh, sort of symbolic but I can talk about that and then I have a lot of faces as well well I was going to ask if that image is of you those that well it's quite interesting because it wasn't originally but I have some older work and I've done a portrait of myself and actually it could have been when I was very young. <laughs> I certainly don't look like that anymore. But, uh, you know, I, the sort of techniques that I use, I use a lot of sort of dry point techniques and I use different ways of, of imaging and uh, building up images. Because um, having been trained at the Wits, uh, at Wits, uh, with art and uh, with the seriousness of of artists and and developing your own style and your own creative sort of way of expressing yourself um, I believe that a lot happens unconsciously through printmaking and I fell in love with printmaking I also uh, paint or you know I do oil painting things but this particular exhibition is just with monoprints Elaine, are these print? Are these? Uh, is the exhibition for sale at any yes, point? Yes, absolutely. Yes. yes. I mean, I'm 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 old now, but you know, <laughs> as a psychologist, the medical aids are not covering our expenses very well for people, and so the psychoanalytic training that I had is sort of ivory tower stuff, and I've been working pro deo with very. Uh, debilitated and um, poor people at the studio for a very long time mm. and you can't charge them so unfortunately you know at my age I haven't got all that um, the, those resources that I had before so I've kind of reinvented myself and I which I is wonderful I commend that because <laughs> I keep you I keep hearing you say at my age but mm. I would love to be able to do what you do at your age <laughs> well I reinvented myself I'm running monoprint workshops which I uh, kind of bring in an income you know when I do have them and fortunately for me the artist proof studio I'm sort of a life member and I've got a lot of credit because of the work I've done over the years there for 21 years I've been one of the members and it's a wonderful place I must say and uh, then I did a, a course at uh, the artist press in White River and a lot of these prints come out of that experience, which was Fantastic. also on my bucket list, actually. Um, and I'm very pleased I did it. It was with Mark Atwood, and he's a really interesting man, and it's worth 
I can recommend it to anybody. Fantastic. Elaine, we wish you all the luck with the exhibition and Thank I really you. would like to see the walkabout yeah. and talk to you at that oh, time. I'd love to have you there. It would be such a privilege. Thank it's, you. It's my honor. Uh, please have a good, good day. Thank and, you. And thank you for talking to us. And thanks for stopping the tears too. <laughs> <laughs> it does help a lot. I know, I know. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Elaine Hershovitz, she's, uh, the, the, the exhibition opens on the 23rd and closes on the, on the 5th of November and she does that walkabout on the 1st and it is at Halifax, uh, Halifax uh, Art and we'll give you, it's Halifax Art, 35 4th Avenue in Parkhurst, starts at 6.30. So if you want to know more then, uh, yeah, Halifax is where it is. Taking a little break and when we come back, talking about hate crime. Otherwise, on SAFM. Now, apparently hate crimes in South Africa not only affect their direct targets, but families, societies, and communities. I didn't know this. Despite their sometimes prominent media coverage, hate crimes are still misunderstood and severely underreported. So, when I saw this, I thought, let's speak to public educator with Hate Crimes Working Group, Janine Shamos. Janine, thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It means so much to have that kind of exposure. Thanks, Jenny. What are we talking about? What's hate crime? If we look at a hate crime, to break it down, it's any crime, whether it's a physical attack, something like a rape or an assault, um, murder, an attack on property, verbal abuse, hate speech, that is directed at someone because of their, their race, their nationality, their sexual identity, their gender, mm. their religion. So it's a very targeted, intentional crime that is really not sort of a random victimization. It's your victims they are because of their identity, because of who they are. It must all begin in the head, right? It lives in the mind. Absolutely. You know, hatred, we hate what we don't understand and fear what we don't understand. And it's a very dangerous, you know, ignorance and education is, is a very, very dangerous place to start. And that's why we, we're looking at really pushing the education and understanding. How are we identifying uh, the, 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 the perpetrators of hate crime? Unfortunately, at the moment in South Africa, reporting of hate crimes is really lumped together with, I don't want to say normal crime, but general crime. Mm. Um, so if you are raped, regardless of whether it was a so-called corrective rape or whether it was a general rape or you were a random victim, it's reported the same way. So it is very difficult to try and identify who your perpetrators are, who your victims are. Um, we have cases that hit the media headlines and they're, they're huge, but what we, we very often don't see is the hundreds, sometimes thousands of people affected by hate crimes on a daily basis who don't speak, who don't come out, who don't identify themselves or their perpetrators. So the research that we're conducting is very, very important to try and not only educate people about what hate crimes are, but to identify that you might be a victim or a perpetrator of a hate crime. And, and are you presenting this, this research at the, at the media briefing? We're looking at, we're conducting the research currently, um, so it is underway, it's a five-year study, mm -hmm. um, and we're about a year and a half, two years in, 
Um, so we are looking at just creating that awareness. What we found is that when we're talking about hate crimes, very often people don't understand what a hate crime is mm. or will suddenly through a discussion go, hang on, my attack was actually hate motivated. I'm a victim of a hate crime. I didn't know that. Mm. And that changes the, the knowledge base and the resource base. And your research is vital, but in a vacuum isn't entirely helpful. So it is really about creating awareness and looking at getting people speaking the right language, um, being able to, to educate the public in a, a responsible, non-prejudiced way. Hmm. Please do stay on the line for us. We're going to take some news headlines and we're back talking to you, Janine. Perfect. Otherwise, on SAFM. There's a hate crimes working group media briefing tomorrow at 8.30 until 10. And I am joined on, on, on the phone by a public educator with hate crimes working group, Janine Shamos. Janine, why is it important to understand uh, the type of crime that is? I mean, crime is a crime is a crime. Is, does it make it more acceptable, or not acceptable, but uh, why is it important for me to understand what type of, of crime it is? I think hate crimes, the importance for us really is that hate crimes are, are very largely preventable. Um, you know, if you look at that people are being attacked because of their sexual identity, because mm -hmm. of their religion, um, education around those issues release that hatred. Um, and very importantly is that, you know, targets, it, it really, in a democratic country, tears at the fabric of, of democracy. Mm. People who are targeted by hate crimes no longer feel part of their society. They can't be open in their beliefs, in their practices. Mm. They feel like outsiders. Mm. And that has a ripple effect on the country's future. And while hate crimes are an international issue and we will be showing two international DVDs um, or snippets thereof to show how international this is in a country like South Africa that was really with a rainbow nation we're, we're born out of tolerance mm. to have such an increase in hate crime is, is for me horrific mm. I wonder then how we reverse it um, I know you, you're educating people about it but by identifying, does and, and we may be sp speaking to the converted, really preaching to the converted, how are we reaching those uh, perpetrators to, to change their thinking and make them understand, uh, you know, what they are doing wrong? It is important to get the public involved, so get schools involved. And you might have, a, a, you know, a child in a school who a future perpetrator of a hate crime or has done something on a minor level maybe that is going to grow in the future. We don't know. Um, in my personal capacity, um, which I'm obviously bringing through in, my, in the hate crimes working group work, I work in a prison in Johannesburg and speak to inmates about hate crimes and, and look at has anything that they've done been motivated by hatred? Has anything that they've done, have they been victims of hatred? Mm -hmm. um, and it actually came out in conversation this morning that one of my inmates who's serving quite a long sentence um, was himself a victim of a hate crime for numerous years because of his religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of quite insidious and, and getting really that reach into all sectors of the community is really important. Mm -hmm. Now, is, is there, a, I heard you talk about uh, it happening all over the world. Are there similar organizations that you are working with internationally um, and, and, you know, to, to 
maybe uh, transfer experiences and skills uh, to us in South Africa? Absolutely. We're actually working very closely, um, and this is going to be an ongoing and closer relationship as it goes, with the University of Leicester, um, who has a hate crimes project and have done extensive research and have been incredibly willing to share all of that information and work with us and really take us under their wing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also working with a police department, the Hertfordshire Constabulary in the UK, who has got the most incredible resources in their police center, um, hate crimes officials who are specifically trained to deal with hate crime, who go into the communities, who deal with victims and perpetrators. It's an incredible organization and we we're hoping to really work closely with them in the future. And hopefully work with SAPS as well, as South African Police yes, Services. We hope so. We hope they're listening. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I think, as you mentioned, that crime is reported, but it would be great to know how much of it is 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 uh, hate crime that's reported, or why it's underreported. Is it because we're not doing anything about it? There's no response, or is it because we don't know we have we don't have the profile of hate crime to identify to, to okay. identify it. You know, it's not, as long as we know that information, we can really lobby government, we can really empower and get things in place that, that can help victims and perpetrators themselves. Do you believe that it should, reported, it should be reported differently? Absolutely. I think that the, the targets and the victims of hate crime, it's a very specific, being a victim of any crime, is horrific and there, there are lots of traumas and lots of scars that are left behind but there's a very specific trauma with being a victim of a hate crime um, not only have you felt, felt targeted but you feel targeted because of who you are mm. and, and there's nothing is, you can do to change who you are exactly and it, it's a decimating thing so I do think that we need specialized task forces and counseling units and really the, the resources need to be there so that we can deal with and report these things differently. I see you doing this on as part of International Day of Unity? Yes, we are. Um, I think very important is that we look at, you know, hatred does come from intolerance and ignorance and misunderstanding and standing together and instead of looking at our differences, let's look at what we have in common as, as different faiths, as different cultures, and let's work together because it's ultimately our country we're fighting for. You know, how do we practice this, Janine? Because, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking you're saying very important things. And I'd like us to get away from this conversation feeling more empowered, more more willing to share that, that unity, share the spaces that we share. Um, in, in a more positive way and I'd like people to go home and have these conversations about hate crime mm. how do we do that How is there a, 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 a to-do list if, for lack of a better word that you can give us that we can practice to make sure that uh, we, 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 we spread the word about hate crime number one number two we educate more people around us about hate crime I think probably number one of the to-do list is a bit of soul searching um, look at your own reactions. If someone cuts in front of you in traffic or cuts in front of you in a shopping queue or something happens, what is your immediate reaction? Is it hate-based? Do you ever say anything or react from a position of hatred or intolerance? Mm-hmm. And then look at how you're... Are you talking about it in your families? Are you talking about it in your, your communities? Mm. Um, getting involved with different 
interfaith and interculture groups, um, and there are many, um, to really be exposed to different cultures and religions so that it's not based on what you think you know, but actually based on what you do know and mm-hmm. what you've experienced. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking at our, our children, you know, children repeat what they hear at home, what they hear at yes. school, what is coming out of their mouths. You know, let's look at that, start conversations and communication and start asking questions of, hang on, why did you say that? Why do you think that? How are we going to deal with that? Let's expose you to somebody different. And, you know, it was interesting. I was sort of as a background, and I was, I was watching Cry Freedom the other night, and mm. Steve Biko made a, a very important point that I think is very important for us to remember. That, and he said there that white, black people know what white people lived like in the 1970s because they were in white areas. They were there to look after children and mm. cut gardens and... White people never crossed that line the other way. They sure. didn't know. And I had the sudden horrible realization that nothing's really changed. Um, we need to start being proactive and crossing those lines, whether it's a religion, whether it's a culture, whether it's a sexual identity. We need to start making that effort to cross those lines and really see it from a different side. And not only Vilagazi Street exists as the whole of South Africa, because people go to Soweto only and go to Vilagazi Street, have a, have a drink and think, oh, I went to Soweto and now I know what black people are like. Yes, I mean, that's uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like going to Santon and knowing what white people are like. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You, as you say, you need to get involved in projects and yes. get involved on an on a almost continuous basis, because then you learn, you learn and understand. Absolutely. And, you know, we will be putting up projects on the website. Um, it is currently under construction a little bit. Um, but 14th of November will be an interface um, day as well. Um, so people can get involved in that. And, you know, really, I encourage people to look at yourself, look at your country, look at the people around you and pick someone. Pick someone at random and have a conversation. Um, it's amazing how much you learn from someone at a robot or someone behind you in a, in a shopping queue. Janine, please stay on the line again. We're taking a little break, but I want details after this of what we, where we go to for this <laughs> media briefing. After this. Otherwise, on SAFM. Hate crimes is what we're talking about with Janine Shamos, and they have a, a breakfast briefing, media breakfast briefing tomorrow, hey? Janine? Yes. Tomorrow okay. morning. Yes. Give us details, please. If anybody is interested, I know it does say media, but if anybody <laughs> out there is listening who thinks, hang on, I might be affected, I'd like to know, please do come along. Registration is from 8.30 tomorrow morning. It's at the Sonke Gender Justice Building, which is 62 Duta Street, mm-hmm. third floor of the Stevenson's Gallery Building in Bramfontein. Um, there will be signed posts up in the building, um, fairly easy to find. Um, Come and join us for, for breakfast, some coffee and scones and muffins and, and eats and ask as many questions as you want. And if there is anybody out there listening who, who thinks that maybe there is a problem or they would like something in their communities, we do offer community training. So visit our website or drop us an email and let us see how we can help. And it's all free, hey? Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. May I give your email address if... People yes, need it's to pleasure. Okay. It's pleasure. And it's Janine.shamos at gmail.com, hey? That's correct, yes. Fantastic. All the best for tomorrow yes. then. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you so much, Shadow. Thank you. Bye. Take care now. Uh, Janine.shamos, S-H-A-M-O-S at gmail.com.